0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down the threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems and protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. the ransomware diaries
1: three had come out i was looking on one of the russian forums and this this person who had just created an account the day before uh started chiming in and in their signature block it said uh, owner and creator of ransom
0: vc that's john dimaggio chief security strategist for analyst one The research we're discussing today is titled Ransomware Diaries, Volume 4, Ransomed and Exposed, The Story of Ransomed, V.C.
1: Of course, at the time I didn't know who that was because it was like a day after their operation had started. Um, but I just started looking into it from there, and uh, as the following month went on, I started to hear more and more about them. So I figured if they had an interest in if they had an interest in my work, maybe I could leverage that to uh, gain access to them um, and, and see what I could figure out. And that's that's basically where it started.
0: Before we dig into the specifics here, can can you paint a little picture for us of? What it's like to be on these types of forums?
1: Um, well, you know, being on the forums themselves, uh, you know, gaining access sometimes can be difficult. But once you're there, I, I would not say that in comparison to doing engagements directly with threat actors, that just being on the forums is a scary place. It's a great source uh, for intelligence, especially for for cybersecurity researchers. But, you know, if you're doing any sort of um, interaction where you're communicating with a threat actor, even with a fake persona, um, anytime you're directly reaching out, that that's a little unnerving. And uh, obviously, you know, doing that brings brings greater risk. But, you know, there's there's two two methods to that. One is, you know, to have an account just to, 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 to watch and observe. Um, and then there's, you know, another um, technique where you're actually building up a fake persona and getting people. Uh, People to believe that you are someone else and to gain credibility so that you can actually talk and communicate with your real target, that's much more difficult. And yes, that, that, that's
0: very unnerving and, and takes a, a, a lot more risk when you do that. Yeah. Well, let's walk through this specific example here. I mean, how do you begin your interaction with this person who's saying that they're the proprietor of ransomed VC?
1: Yeah. So this one was a little bit different because normally, you know, there is only a few ways to communicate with a threat actor and Ransom VC. One of the things that caught my attention was, um, you know, they their footprint was so much broader. They had, you know, social media accounts on several platforms. They even had an account, uh, two accounts actually on TikTok. Um, they were on Twitter. Um, they were on, you know, several several different types of, of social media. So that in, it, in itself made them much more accessible. Um, when I did decide to reach out to them, I reached out to them both uh, publicly on Twitter and said, hey, I want to talk to you. And I also sent them a, a message on a... Application that many threat actors use to communicate—that's called Tox. T O X, and it's just—it's its an encrypted communication platform that you run uh, on a on a local system. It's—it's—it's it's, it's not social media. But um, I sent a message on both. They responded on Twitter, and then they asked me to transition and talk to them on Telegram. Uh, so we ended up doing <laughs> most of our our conversations there on Telegram uh, o- over the course of about uh, two and
0: a half months. Second platform, John, second platform. Never move to a second platform. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think they were more comfortable with Telegram than
1: Twitter, just from a monitoring perspective. Whether they're, at, whether they're correct or not is another story. But because, you know, Telegram was supposedly designed for, for privacy and in, in incorporates encryption, I think they feel safer using that um, to, to get away sort of from the monitoring of law enforcement or, or, or government uh, eyes
0: type of thing. So now that you've established contact here, what's your strategy?
1: Yeah, so that's something that has become, um, that's something I've spent a lot of time doing. So if I can just take one step back at Symantec, you know, I spent seven years uh, there and there and my entire career prior to that was always in the government. And there you're dealing with zeros and ones. You're going through data to make these assessments. You're not actually doing direct engagements. So when I came to Analyst One, uh, I, I, I don't have access to customer data here, so I had to get you know creative and I, I, I literally just started to read everything I can on um, human behavior profiling, um, reading things, uh, academic papers, things. I read stuff from the FBI's behavioral analysis unit. I even reached out to them. Um, I read about different techniques, but at the end of the day, what what it comes down to is just sort of trial and error, which can be scary. Um, and using fake personas was a little bit easier cause I wasn't myself, but with the popularity of the ransomware diaries, I've found that I get farther, uh, just communicating as, is, is, is myself. And, uh, so in doing that, you have to be very careful. And I've taken the approach of just being straightforward, r- you know, r- right off the bat, telling them what my intent is, why I'm talking to them if I plan to write research, if they've, I always ask them if they've read my previous research so they understand the type of thing that's going to um, come from an engagement with me. And if they're still willing to talk to me, then we move forward. Uh, one of the things, though, that I have to do is, even though it's myself, they'll say lots of things that I don't agree with or I don't like or I think that are outrageous. But I have to, remember that even though I'm presenting myself as me, I need to get information. So I still have to say things and do things that I wouldn't do in real life. And there's more of a risk there because, you know, they could dump all of our chat logs and to the untrained eye, people might think that, okay, well, this guy's buddies with them or he's stroking their ego or he's telling them the things, you know, that, that he shouldn't say, um, that, that to get him to like them. But at the end of the day, what, you know, you, it's the end result that matters. And I think anybody who looks at my my research will get that because I'm able to get people comfortable enough to talk to me and share details of, about attacks and about things that they do in their attacks that are, are not public and no one else would know if it wasn't for that human engagement. So it, it, it takes a lot of work. Um, honestly, sometimes after like with this one, I spent months talking to these guys and it's not just one person. I've talked to to about uh, four different people that were involved with the gang. But by the time it's done, you know, it's like it it takes a toll on you uh, uh, emotionally. It affects your personal life. You know, there's no vacation when you're doing this because, you know, if you're doing an engagement with a threat actor, it could be a Saturday if if they – you know pop up and want to talk to you then that's an opportunity to to get information it's kind of hard to say no so uh, you know you, you can get burnout easily there's a lot of risk um there's there's you know you have, you have to live a very paranoid life things of that nature so it's, it's not been easy, but, I, but I've had a lot of success for it. And I feel like the the good that comes from the research is greater than the bad. You know, the bad side being I'm shining a light on them. They want to talk to me because they want to be famous in the criminal world. But I know my research is making a difference because usually after I write, I have both, I write I, previously, I've had, you know, law enforcement and government agencies from all over the world reach out to me um, and asking me questions about it. So that, that tells me that it's good information if those those type of organizations are finding things that I'm publishing to have new and unknown information in it. So I keep, I keep the fight as long as I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm making a difference. Uh, but yeah, it's tough.
0: Help me understand the kind of balance that, that I, I feel like you must take here between folks like this being flattered by your interest, but also I would imagine that they're kind of circumspect about sharing too much with you.
1: Yes, yes. And that's so that definitely happens. And so that balance is why I have to do things like, for example, if they say something extremely racist or they make a terrible joke, you know, not saying, why would you say that that's awful you know don't i don't i don't appreciate that don't say that sort of thing you know while you don't encourage it you have to kind of bite your tongue and just sort of you know move on with the conversation um in a way that doesn't necessarily alienate them but you don't i also you know you can't encourage that either so it is a tight walk but but here's the thing it's not just one little thing like that it's it's trust that's built up i, I don't do Um, just one engagement. If this isn't like a 30-minute interview with them, I I do this, you know, for for four or five days uh, at a time over a course of anywhere from one to three months, usually when I do this type of research. The goal is to build and establish a a relationship with that threat actor. As an example, just today, um, you know, I I had a conversation with the uh, Lockbit threat actor. And, uh, you know, I was talking to them because they had just, popped a hospital that, uh, is in Chicago where they, um, you know, there's, they have a children's cancer ward. They specialize in helping, uh, uh homeless and homeless people and other people that can't afford treatment. And so I reached out to Lockbit, you know, trying to, cause I talked to this person's relationship being like, Hey man, you've made all this money. Remember you're a human. Just give these people their decryption key and move on. Um, I don't know whether he, he he's told me he has to think about it, but my point is that mm-hmm. it's months of, of building these relationships and getting them to have some trust because they feel like they get to know who I am, um, and I don't—I I don't lie to them. I, I tell them right off the bat what I'm doing, um, and there are certain things that they've shared with me where they say. I'll tell you this, but it has to be off the record. And while I put everything in my research that I find, if they do tell me something off the record, I have to abide by that because that's, when you're talking to criminals, that's all you have is a reputation. And I think I've built a pretty good reputation of of being straightforward with them. So it is difficult. They say horrible things. They say, like for example a lot of russian bad guys like to use the, the n word a lot and that is mm. not that's a word that i, I w- would never use in my vocabulary um that they use so it makes me uncomfortable but i also can't show them that i'm uncomfortable So again, it all comes down to risk because like I said, all these things that wouldn't make me look great, but what uh, the fact that I'm not standing up and saying, hey, don't do that. But but what everybody has to remember is it's the end game. I'm trying to get them to trust me. I'm building that trust. It's just weird now because I do it as myself. When I was using fake personas, it was much easier. But it's all about the end game of getting that intel um, and being able to uh, fill in gaps that will help defenders and law enforcement better protect and, and apprehend these these type of criminals.
0: We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Six Sense. so you can focus on your core business goals, confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose SixthSense, Sense, visit sixsense.com. Are you typically communicating in English?
1: Uh, it, it it depends. So with ransom VC, everything was in English because all of the people I spoke to could either write or speak. Um, coherently in English, um, so I was able to, to, to do that and communicate much easier. Uh, with Lockbit, they talk in broken English, so it's a little bit harder, but I, I do have um, you know colleagues at Analyst One um, that, that are, are Russian and can speak the language, so I do have the ability to do both, but obviously when I can communicate uh, without speaking um, a language that I don't know myself, uh, we get a lot farther and I don't have to wait. And other people and things of that nature.
0: Well, let's go into some of the details of what you learned about Ransom VC. I mean, what are some of the highlights of your research that you can share with us?
1: Yeah, so uh, I, I would say, you know, there's a number of things. Um, I, I think the most significant uh, aspect of my research was I talked to this hacker who's, who goes by the uh, handle USDOD. He was a very interesting person because um, this past September, uh, Brian Krebs had wrote a blog about him. Apparently, this individual had hacked uh, this network called InfraGuard, which contained a bunch of information on the FBI, people who work for the FBI, so employees uh, of the FBI, and released that. And he also targeted NATO and these other organizations, and he released it all on September 11th and was sort of labeled as a terrorist. Well, he's not. I'm gonna go on record and say he is not a, a terrorist. He's a a person who made some poor decisions in in what he did, but he does not have this, you know, strong anti-US um, sentiment about him. But he did some dumb things, made some poor choices, but he had also joined Ransom VC. So when I talked to, to him, you know, he was giving me bits and pieces of information and he seemed very straightforward with me as opposed to when I talked to the person who runs the operation who goes by the name Ransom Support. You know, he, he outright admitted that he lies a lot and admitted some of the things that he's publicly done that have been lies. And, you know, he he told me a lot of things that I knew were, were untruthful. So I had one individual who, again, I'm going on my gut feeling here, uh, which isn't always right, but is pretty good. Um, one individual who I believe is being truthful, or at least believes he's being tru- truthful with me, this other individual who half the things that he's telling me are lies. Well, I sort of compare the information, and then I use the information that one gives me to try and see if I can—I don't want to catch the other off guard, but but get them to give me a comment by the way I present it that would fill in the, tr- the gap and find the truth of what really happened. So with that, um, the Ransom support, the leader of Ransom VC, had been saying some bad things about this guy. And uh, this was like, you know, one of the top hackers, you know, in, in, in the world who worked for him and he's trash talking him. So when we were talking and I, I shared some of the things that was said about him and asked him if he still worked for them or, or if he had any concerns about them. You know, he told me, no, he'd stopped working with them. Um, and and to, to speed up the, the story here, at the end of the day. By being able to um, show that that other person did not actually care about them and wasn't in their best interest to protect them, uh, USDOD became comfortable and shared information with me that led me to identify that the person who created Ransom VC was previously associated with the the Ragnar locker ransomware gang who had just been arrested, uh, in October, October 30th, exactly. And that was very relevant because RansomVC had started a new forum only seven days prior, and it was a ransomware based forum. Now starting a forum takes money and resources. Um, and that shows they were expanding their operation, not ending it. So seven days later, um, They, they, I'm sorry. It was October 22nd when the um, when when they started this forum, and October 23rd uh, there was some arrests for Ragnar Locker, and October 30th Ransom VC announced they were selling the forum. So they showed they were expanding. They spent time and money. A day later, there's arrests for a completely unrelated ransomware group. And seven days after that, uh, Ransom VC makes an announcement that they're shutting down. But here's the key. They made the announcement that they were shutting down because he said six people that were associated with him, Ransom Support, the leader of the group, had been arrested, or he believed that they had been arrested. And at, at the time, everybody discounted this as another lie because there was no news of anyone from ransom VC being arrested, well, no, no one, including me, connected the dots. He was not talking about ransom VC. He was talking about Ragnar Locker. Those men that had been arrested were part of Ragnar Locker, and he was associated with them. and He was concerned that they would give information that could possibly lead to him. Then U.S. DOD told me that they had had the ransom support from Ransom VC and Ragnar Locker had, had some sort of falling out and claimed that uh, ransom support actually leaked information to Europol that helped lead to their arrests out of spite. Now, that is sort of a sin even amongst criminals. I don't know if that's hmm. true or if that's just a story based on the crazy things ransom support may have said to USDOD, but again, I believe that what the guy told me, he actually believed was true, and, and that was that's pretty crazy. One, it, from a from a cybersecurity perspective, I, you know, no one was aware that he did any sort of business with this other ransomware group, but the fact that he may have actually had something to do with taking them down is just, that's unheard of. Um, but again, I want to be careful with that because I, I don't have evidence that he did that. I, I have two, two people's claims that differ, but I felt that that was a really significant finding in, uh, in my
0: report. I'm curious, you know, having the kind of access that you have and the experience that you have with these folks, um, how does that inform your attitude? How has that changed your thoughts on approaching day-to-day cybersecurity? Uh, it's changed it a lot because I never uh
1: saw the the actual human side behind it and when you spend all day you know um defending against attacks or trying to chase you know live attackers out of your network it, it it's still all at, at you know a, a binary level if you will and you 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 don't really um see the, the side you sort of forget that this is a human being just like me. So what's changed about it is I really learned that, um, that there there is a human side to this. And while some of these people might be completely crazy, while well, others are not and just have had poor life circumstances and made some poor ethical decisions— but there there is a difference. There there are people that are really bad and will always do bad things. And then there's others that I have found that have done bad things. Uh, that's like like USDOD, who I think do have good in them. And, you know, I, I I hope that the relationship that I end up having on them, you know, persuades them or helps. Persuade them, persuade them to to change their ways. I may never be successful in that, but it's something that I strive to do when I do find someone that I think has good in them. But to answer your question. Uh, it's made me take a step back. And whenever I hear about these, about about attacks, well, most people are looking at it from the perspective of how I used to look at it, which was only how do we defend, how do we mitigate, uh, and, and how do we protect ourselves moving forward? And I look at it differently. like How do we permanently stop this, this sort of attack and getting to know these people and reaching out, getting this information. It only takes one slip up for, for somebody to, to give away too much information. That, that might be the one key that, you know, could be used by, by law enforcement to, to find these people. And um, I think that when you add that, sort of the human intelligence part on top of um, the ones and zeros from a cyber perspective, it, it just really increases the value of that intelligence product. Now, the stuff that I write is exactly what I just said. It's it's cyber relate, cybersecurity-related information you know, coupled with the human aspect. But now I've gotten to a point because I love to write and I'm getting these people's stories. I like to really tell a story and try to make it entertaining in addition to simply being, um, you know, j- just an a, a intelligence report that can be used, you know, for defensive purposes. I want people to enjoy reading it. I want to I increase the knowledge base on this. I want people who don't typically read this or understand this to read it and be interested in it. So I've sort of taken it to this other level. Not everybody loves that I do that, but I thoroughly (laughs) enjoy making interesting stories and sharing the human side of this, whether it's good or bad and providing context to the ones and zeros of the, of cyber attacks.
0: Yeah. To what degree do these folks tend to consider themselves invincible or, or are they looking over their shoulders or do, do they feel like they're, you know, any day that, that knock on the door could be law enforcement?
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, it does differ. But let me give you a couple examples. With with Lockbit, for example, um, the leader of that group is extremely paranoid and careful. He's probably one of the most careful people uh, that I've that I've ever dealt with when it comes to his operational security. Um, according to him, you know, he spends a lot of time, uh, in, in especially before he began this operation, really uh, learning about opsec and and making sure that everything he did provided minimal risk that would make it difficult to identify or catch him. Um, and, and every decision he makes, you know, he, he, you can see the things that he's doing to incorporate keeping him a few steps away From anyone finding him, or there's a reason that we haven't seen law enforcement take down their infrastructure. There's a reason we don't have names of the people um, directly in that that management ring of that gang because they're so careful. And and then you have groups. I'll just use ransom VC since we're talking about them as an example, where you know they definitely worry much more about their door being kicked in. You know, other other researchers and criminals have doxxed them and you know made claims about their identities. I don't know if they're right because I don't get into doxing. That's 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 a headache. I don't want to deal with. But mm. the point is, is that you know they are very concerned that there's going to be a knock at the door. So I really think that it depends on um, not just the 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 person and in, in the group itself, but it also depends on how comfortable they are that they have done everything possible to uh, make it difficult to find them, and they believe that they don't make mistakes uh, because they're careful. Um, And those people are also a a lot more, they're, they're more difficult to talk to. You know, it's like a lot used to talk to me and we would have water cooler talk. And now it's, I call him Mr. Grumpy Pants because whenever we talk to him now, he's, it's all business. He doesn't want to share anything else. And I get it. I wrote a ton of research on, on them. I understand, but, but it's a, it's a very different uh, relationship now. So, so each one is a little bit different, but I feel like that's why it's important to sort of profile them. So you know how to approach them and you don't scare them away
0: our thanks to john dimaggio from analyst one for joining us the research is titled ransomware diaries volume four ransomed and exposed the story of ransomed BC. we'll have a link in the show notes Visit NETSKOPE.com. The Cyberwire Research Saturday podcast is a production of N2K Networks. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.